Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Annie Rose. What's going on? Hey, Tina. Not much. <laughs> well, here here we are remotely recording a podcast, which um, which you and I have done on your show a couple of times. I usually prefer to record in person whenever possible, but it's October. It's spooky season. And in 2020, I think I'm just accepting that I need to have a remote recording setup because that is the way to do it if you care about public health, which I do. Yes. I've sort of been trying to figure out like what the role of this show is in my life as I like make all of these COVID era adjustments to my professional responsibilities and schedules and like productivity expectations with myself and like I kind of have like slowed down a little bit so that I like can stave off burnout. But then I was really actually remembering, and I wonder if you feel this way about your show. I also do kind of like look to these recordings for a time of just unspooling the things that I'm thinking and feeling about all of my favorite topics. And so I've been really looking forward to just like talking about the shit that we like to talk about. No, definitely. I always say to people like, the admin stuff around the podcast and the editing is really annoying and I hate doing it but like the conversations <laughs> and the research I never mind like that never feels like work so yeah, it's just, it's a good space we just need to get set up where like we are treated like what we are which is the talent yes <laughs> I need an intern <laughs> Well, if you are interested in being an intern for Annie Rose, um, we will let you know where you can get at her. And before we do that, let me read her bio. Annie Rose Malamut is a writer, teaching artist, podcast producer, and self-identified lesbian vampire. We will be coming back to that. As the creator of the podcast Girls, Guts, and Giallo, she examines subversive and controversial films from a femme Leatherdyke perspective. In her writing, she blends personal narrative and film theory. And up top, will you let people know where people can find you on the internet if they want to follow along online and look at thirst traps of you and like your memes like yeah. while they listen to you <laughs> yeah you can find me on some a bunch of places you can find me on instagram like my personal instagram um is fat goth f-a-t-g-a-w-t-h great handle. and yeah I've been I'm stuck with it I've had it since like 2010 it's not going away <laughs> <laughs> and you can find all of my podcast stuff on Instagram and Twitter at girls guts jello and you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts hell yes I have been on the show twice now it's true I, 
Talking about ugly British men. Yes, my faves. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I'll talk to my therapist about it. <laughs> I am fully talking to my therapist about it. Uh, that might actually come up uh, in this podcast because of our topic. <laughs> about monsters. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, not to get ahead of myself, but what is a lust for an immortal being if not a mommy or daddy fetish they're literally hundreds of years older than you that's true yeah or vice versa so we are going to talk about vampires today this is a topic that has come up on this show maybe more than you would think but not, not if you know me yeah, yeah totally <laughs> and i just kind of feel like it's an endlessly interesting topic i mean we talked about it a few octobers ago when i had Katie Skelly and Kristen Soleil uh, and Carly from Pleasure Chest on, on the show. We did like a bunch of sexy monster stuff. And I'm sure I talked about it more when I had Katie Skelly back on. Have you read My Pretty Vampire by Katie Skelly? I haven't. Highly recommend. And she just uh, released a new book. I forget their names, but the the maids that the Jeanet play is based on, the maids that like murdered their mistress and probably had like an incestuous Sister, my sister. Is is that also about them? The incestuous maids? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we talked about vampires on the blood episode with Maxwell Lander. The Laura Western Guard episode, because she was she was also on my podcast. So totally. Yes. Out. Oh my god, you guys talked about Rebecca. Have you seen the trailer for the new Rebecca remake? Yes. What I do you think. I don't I don't approve, but I'll watch it anyway. I'm very, very curious as ever to see whether they will make the subtext text and whether that will be a good or bad thing know what i mean right right i definitely think that it should stay t subtext but you know i'm also i'm kind of down on remakes in general so i'm not the best well judge you're somebody of that. who is obviously very invested in just watching the first one instead of being like, oh, you got to like put Army Hammer in it in order for right. people to watch it. And also Army Hammer is just not Max to Winter. Like it's, <laughs> but whatever. I mean, I like him, but he's no Olivier. No. Let's start here. So you identify as a lesbian vampire. And I, <laughs> and I feel actually, you know what other episode this reminds me of a little bit is the cannibalism episode with Empress Wu. Mm. It's important to sort of talk about the difference between, because people can be, I don't know if you've noticed, really literal when it comes to sex. And so, obtuse. And, and ob yeah. obtuse is totally the word. When Wu and I were talking about cannibalism, like we were not literally talking about like being turned on by like going on dates with people where we like prepare their legs to <laughs> be eaten. That was a great episode, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, dude, I cannot believe how popular that episode is. It is the one that when back when I would actually run into people in person, uh, when I would talk to people like IRL, the the, the, mo the most people would be like, I love that episode. <laughs> just like, okay, it's really this, good. This is my project. Um, well, Wu is brilliant. So I feel like people might see that you identify as a lesbian vampire and think, do you remember? I feel like this was a trope on the like Jerry Springer sort of daytime talk show 
world of the 90s where people would be booked on the show and they would be like I identify as a vampire and they had like filed their incisors down and like of course we're all black yeah that's one of my roots <laughs> I'm sure <it> yes is. <laughs> so you know the questions on on that would always be like do you actually consume human blood? Do you wish us harm? Like, so I guess... <laughs> Do you wish us harm? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the answer, to, so right up top, the answer is from you is yes, you wish everyone harm. <laughs> what does it mean, Annie Rose, to be a lesbian vampire? I'm, I'm sure it means something different to other people who identify that way. <laughs> But for me, like I said, one of my roots was seeing people like that on talk shows and just being like fascinated and transfixed. And I think for me, there's a few aspects going on. Like there's the there are the literal aspects of being an, an attraction to darkness and death and anything kind of morbid like I'm very goth for life I've been goth since I was like 12 years old and (laughs) it's not changing (laughs) like so there's that part of it like being attracted to the aesthetic of darkness Mm. not just attracted to but like obsessed like I cannot stop like it is a huge part of my personality it's a huge part of your personality to be like obsessed with death and darkness. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Then there's the the other parts of it, which are like, I have always really struggled with being awake in the daytime. I feel most myself when it's dark out. Mm. I come like awake when the sun goes down. It's just, mm-hmm. I've always been like that ever since I was a, a kid. So that is something that, you know, I don't want to overstate harm or whatever, but it is definitely something that has othered me in some ways just because Mm. like the capitalist world that we live in that's not how it functions oh that's a really interesting point right so like you're you wake up and you're supposed to wake up in the morning and go to your nine to five and then go to sleep at night and that is just not how my brain works so it's something you say you love the nightlife absolutely (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's the other thing like i love how the night is sexy. The night is femme. Like, mm. it's, it, you know, people feel s- different when it's dark. Like, you can, you can be more yourself. Like, the weirdos come out. Like, that's where, that's when people go cruising. And it's just, like, a, a different energy that really resonates with me. And so that is the other part of it. I love that, by the way. That is such a... That's just very well said and very beautiful and is like making me smile. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The night is like, I feel like the night is a, is also a huge part of my sexuality. Like mm. I can fuck during the day, but <laughs> it doesn't feel as sexy as it does at night. It makes me feel more awake and alive, the, the darkness. So there's there's that part of it. And then the other part of it is this tradition, this filmic and literary tradition of the predatory lesbian oh yes and that manifesting so in so many ways in the figure of the lesbian vampire so Mm -hmm. and that is very much how my sexuality has felt and developed for me like i've i've always had like no amount of mainstreaming or assimilation or 
pride has shaken this sense of myself as like an inverted dark predatory <laughs> sort of figure. But the the important thing is that you're at peace with that and you're like into it. Yes. And I fetishize it. So oh. but but that is that's also part of it is like clinging to that sort of that history of subtext and that was sort of that was meant to convey a, a kind of homophobic message but actually ends up being kind of illicit and sexy. Oh, I love that. That is that is so fantastic. So do you drink human blood? <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> not, not non-consensually though. <laughs> right, that's and, the Yeah. That's and, the difference. And not <laughs> very often. Like that is a special You don't need it to live. No. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, most of the time, like, when you do blood play, right, you're really really not supposed to drink other people's blood. So it's it's definitely something that is reserved for very, very special people and occasions. You know, if you were just drinking blood all over town just just slutting it up that it you know i mean i kind of wish i could like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like i just can't so. <laughs> well we'll work on that for you yeah. <laughs> so you are uh, such a a big film person you know it's both your interests and the the work that you do what are some of your favorite depictions of vampires Oh, good question. So depictions of vampires in general or specifically lesbian vampires? Great counter question. <laughs> this is an omnisexual show, right? This is a show yes. uh, about it all. So like I am, I am probably going to force you to talk about like old uh, decrepit white guys um, and my weird sexual obsession with them. Because uh, how can I talk about vampires without talking about that? If you want to talk about like any general vampire depictions that you're into that's great but if you want to just like narrow in on lesbian vampires i will not stop you well i can sort of give like a history of my favorite representations because i think i discovered the lesbian vampire a bit later so my favorite representations of vampires were you know quote-unquote male vampires i don't really think of vampires as like having a gender even but like well, totally and that's something that i talked about with laura western guard is right like, she kind of like let me off the like queer gothic hook for the queer gothic hook that's quite a, a visual actually when you think about it yeah thank you yeah the, the idea that like all monstrosity is queer so if you like find yourself attracted to a monster that is depicted as a gender other than the primary gender you're attracted to or all queer lust is monstrous so yeah actually you're inspiring me i have like so many tangents i want to go on here but like i think of lesbian vampire like as its own gender almost (laughs) like lesbian vampire is definitely my gender and like my Mm. gender expression like it's a very deep sort of identity for me i think a lot of the time people feel like it's like a kind of a campy sort of joke and it is like i don't want to you know take myself too seriously a campy joke can also be a part of your conception of your gender exactly yes yes from me yes (laughs) I think of the vampire as an omnisexual being like mm-hmm. I and I part of why I identify with the les with the figure of the lesbian vampire is like I'm a dyke like I really I really am only interested in in dating and I'm only attracted to women however I am also not 
shy about finding lots of other people attractive and and saying it openly like it's not something that I have a hang up about so mm-hmm. I like I can watch a movie and be like that guy's hot yeah. it, which is very much I think part of the vampiric element it's like well you know anybody will do in a pinch like it's <laughs> like it's not you know like the lesbian the lesbian vampire like and vampires in general seem to have like genders that they prefer like feeding off of or fucking but like anyone will do in a pinch which is like totally sort of how I almost con- I conceptualize my sexuality in some ways just because like ultimately at the end of the day gender isn't real totally I- I'm just very very comfortable with my sexual identity in that way that fucking rules talking about it in this like sort of allegorical way of talking about monsters that are like part human part animal and part demon also kind of just like brings up the reality of the situation which is that everyone is ultimately just flesh yes exactly (laughs) when you think about people as flesh it starts you start to realize that like gender doesn't exist or in any case is over totally i mean i always say like if men were like they were in movies or were like vampires maybe i would like them i just don't like the reality of them (laughs) so it's like i feel like that's less of me thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like no, just I mean, can can relate can relate yeah. <laughs> yeah and then you know also with male vampires like i also am allowed to kind of like live out some of my latent gender queer feelings or whatever like mm. one of my early vampire roots is Kiefer sutherland from the lost boys classic classic so sexy and it's almost like i realized later in life coming into my sexuality that I didn't necessarily want to fuck him in that movie. I just wanted to be him. Right. Totally. That makes complete sense. Right. And like, I still dress like that. Like I, (laughs) I dress like him. I have definitely embodied that and like incorporated that character into my conception of my own gender. Then also Lestat from Interview with the Vampire. Are we talking Tom Cruise incarnation or are we talking more about the books? Well, both. I would say. Yeah. And like I saw the Tom Cruise incarnation first before I read the book. I was so obsessed with Kirsten Dunst in that movie. Kirsten Dunst and I are like almost exactly the same age. Already at 13, I felt like hundreds of years old and that like everyone just like did not understand or appreciate that people would like look at me and like underestimate me and I'd be like, Ugh, you don't even know what I have seen and what I can do. What I'm capable of. Exactly. I was right at the age where like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt were supposed to be the thing for you to be into if you were a girl. And I was like, but can we talk about this baby vampire girl and how much I love her? Yeah, I mean, that film is just so, the three main characters are so incredible and work so well with each other. And it's also like, really fucking sick like the relationships they have with each other like it's really sick it's really demented especially it's even more so in the book totally i can't it's been a long time but i definitely remember being like whoa when i read the book i mean and then later we get octavia butler's book fledgling i don't know if dude fledgling also that book has the best literary description of pheromones how 
pheromones are primal and kind of like the thing that you were talking about, like both connected to appetite and sustenance, like needing to like eat and consume, like in terms of the fucking food chain, but like mm-hmm. also about sex at the same time. And also how you can like claim someone through pheromones and that like if you have been claimed by someone and become obsessed with them what it is just like to live in the world being like the minute that you catch a sniff of them nothing else matters right and also the exploration of power dynamics in relation to age which is something that gets explored in interview with the vampire a little bit and then but totally but much more so in fledgling because that was octavia butler's like specific goal with that book was you know she put a uh, the the soul of a 50 year old woman in the body of a an 11 year old black child this vampire who's actually you know a middle-aged woman but looks like a child and is having sex with and feeding off of white adults (laughs) so (laughs) you know it's a very like bold and daring interrogation of sex and power dynamics also great description of the pettiness of jealousy in polyamory and chosen right. family <laughs> right <laughs> where like people are people are all of a sudden like but i want to be the person that you want to feed off of the most <laughs> right like can relate that's the other thing about like the vampire identity right is i'm polyamorous i've been non-monogamous for a long time i knew that that's what i wanted ever since i didn't have words for it when i was a kid and that is also part of the vampire identity for me is like this idea of having multiple lovers or like having a coven of people. (laughs) Yes, or a nest. Yes. You are so fucking funny on the internet, both (laughs) in your memes and in your like Twitter rants. And there are a few things that you have tweeted that have stuck in my mind forever. And one of them was monogamy (laughs) is hard and polyamory is hard but with one i get to bang more chicks and you know what that's enough for me <laughs> that's that's i mean yes <laughs> like, they're both really hard <laughs> they're both they're both fucking bullshit sometimes yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah so that's that is absolutely a selling point <laughs> And it's okay that that's why. The selling point doesn't have to be that it's easier. Like, I even hate identifying as polyamorous just because of, like, polyamorous people. Like 100%. I, <laughs> I feel the same way about the, the word pansexual. I'm oh, like, God. Yeah. I've never been to Burning Man, so... <laughs> yeah it's like polyamorous like pansexual like people that ardently use those terms are like burners and it's embarrassing but it is you know the closest polyamorous would be the closest description to what I practice but I feel like people try to elevate the practice to this place of like divinity almost and I'm like, I mean, it's okay to want to do this because you get to fuck more people. (laughs) Totally. And I also think that a lot of complications do actually arise as a direct result of people thinking that it makes them holier than thou or that it's like inherently more ethical or that it's inherently, you're like inherently going to like get more of what you want from polyamory. And then they encounter conflict and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Right. It's just all bullshit. 
It's just all bullshit, and yet we keep trying. Yes. Fledgling, what else? Obviously, I know you love this movie too, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I do, I do. We have had many conversations about Lucy's ravishment. Oh, God, Uh, yes. Love that scene. And I just love Lucy and that she's, yeah, she's great in that film. But She's so great. I and then like more more specifically when I got when I got older I started to get more into lesbian vampires and I think the first lesbian vampire film I saw was The Hunger which also classic it's huge such a root for so many lesbian yeah vampires. huge formative film for me formative in my goth sensibilities as well and some of my other favorite lesbian vampire films are Daughters of Darkness. I don't know if you've seen that one. I haven't seen that one. It's incredible. It just got a 4K restoration. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, it's a European like art house film. God, is it 1971, I want to say? But it stars Delphine Seyrig, who you might know from Chantal Ackerman's uh, film Jean Dillman. Oh, yes. Yeah, so it stars her and as a resurrected kind of Countess Elizabeth Batori. Oh, she's the one that like bathed in virgin blood to yes. stay young, right? Yes. Yeah. Also one of my roots. Heroes, learning about yeah. her. So yeah, she plays like a Countess Batori figure who's kind of preying on this young couple at this abandoned European resort. Uh, and it's a gorgeous film cool yeah so those are like kind of the big ones and you know there's dozens of these lesbian vampire films like that came out of the glut of exploitation films in the 70s so i I have a very vivid memory of being yeah probably like 13 probably like kirsten dunson interview the vampire age and looking through the cd collection of a family member of mine and finding this CD called Vampiros Lesbos. Yes. And I, w- and I was just like, what is this funny feeling that I what have? What is this funny feeling? <laughs> and, and then putting it on. And, you know, I have always loved funk uh, and, like, all different kinds of psychedelic music, even, like, really Same. cheesy psych funk. Which, if you are in the market for some cheesy psych funk, have I got... A record for you. It's Vampire the soundtrack Lesbos. to the film Vampiras Lesbos. It's one of, of my course, favorite like, soundtracks. Yeah, I love writing to it. It's a little like kind of spunky at times too. It's like creepy, but then it's like and then there's like moaning sounds in the background. Just Franco is Spanish, so yeah, oh, also 71. Great year for lesbian vampires. Really great year for lesbian vampire films, yeah. Yeah, and of course this CD had like, you know, its whole, the the whole like book where there were many you know, naked or near naked pictures of uh, sinister uh, lesbian vampires. And I pulled it out of the CD collection and was like, what's this? And then like kind of got made fun of for my curiosity about it, which just then in turn made me mad and felt like none of you are lesbian vampires. <laughs> How dare you make fun of me for discovering this <laughs> relic of my people? <laughs> it is a relic of your people. Much later, I uh, I finally like got my hands on a copy of it and watched it. I mean, I think I must have been very stoned 
when watching it, I don't have a a lot. It's not very good, I don't think. No, rewatch it this season. Okay, I will. I mean, like, listen, I am never the person <laughs> to go to about if one of these movies is good or not, because I have well, a very, <laughs> like, I enough. feel like I have a very different standard. <laughs> like, it's definitely a hot piece of garbage, but it's right. a really, really fun hot piece of garbage that has some really, really beautiful scenes. Okay, okay, I'm going to give it another shot. Yeah, give it, give it a rewatch. There's also a B-plot with a serial killer that's pretty entertaining. Gotta love that. Yeah. Well, I love Andre Cordescu's book, Blood Countess. Oh, cool. It's actually quite a political novel, but it's about this man who is distantly related to Countess Elizabeth Batory. It all comes back to her. Right. She is the the OG lesbian vampire. And <laughs> you would like the book. It's really gross. Who, me? Yeah. <laughs> he goes to... Hungary, basically, and there's a lot of political intrigue, but the book goes back and forth between his what's happening with him currently and like flashbacks about Elizabeth's life. Great. So that's one of my favorite novels. The I love the Hammer film, The Vampire Lovers. Oh, cool. Which stars Ingrid Pitt as Carmilla, which is another OG lesbian vampire. If 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 you out there in podcast land don't know. This author, Sheridan Le Fanu, I just want to double check the date because this his short story, Carmilla, uh, predates Dracula by, I want to say, 20 years. Nice. So, yeah. So it originally comes out in 1872. It predates Dracula by 26 years because we often think of Dracula as like the OG vampire story. But this came out first oh and God. it is about a a young girl who's kind of like isolated at her father's mansion in the countryside and one day this carriage breaks down and this young woman Carmilla is found alive and she stays at the mansion and uh, she turns out to be a, a lesbian vampire who would have thought right <laughs> who's feeding on this girl and in the night taking the form of a, a giant cat so of course. of course obviously pussy come on and <laughs> So, so that's in lesbian vampire films like there's two major archetypes countess elizabeth Batory is one that isn't that inspires a lot of films and then carmela is the other one that you can find like endless variations of that story in so many exploitation films amazing so how would you start answering the question why are people into vampires why are vampires sexy Oof. So it's something I've thought about quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise. I'm going to take a little digression because I Please. think... So when I was a little kid, and I feel like I've heard... Maybe I've heard you talk about this, but may, I could be thinking of another pervert. <laughs> I, <laughs> I used to be obsessed when I was a little kid with the Phantom of the Opera. First of all, my understanding of the plot of Phantom definitely comes from just like listening to the soundtrack over and over again, which is like most of the story but like maybe not all of it and then I definitely saw a production of it in like San Francisco when I was pretty young and I have read the book because of course I have right so I grew up 
in New York, so I'm a little spoiled baby in some ways and have seen a lot of Broadway shows. And yeah, I w- yeah, I imagine uh, back in the day, a lot of uh, a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Right, when it wasn't like $200. Yeah. I've seen Phantom of the Opera on Broadway three times. Amazing. Now, you know, I'm like, oh my god, he's such a fucking incel. But when I was oh, totally. When I was a kid, you know, like I was so obsessed with that character and why I'm so obsessed with that character I think is because of this first of all like the aesthetic and the darkness and like yeah. this beautiful like deformed dark genius and I think <laughs> the other part of it was like this genius figure being so obsessed with you that they yes. need to kidnap you and capture you and like keep you completely for themselves and like there's something extremely erotic about that totally as problematic as it may be isn't that so funny let's pause here and talk about this for a second because like what you are describing right now is sort of my top line explanation for the appeal of rape fantasies and like consensual non-consent fantasies right we know that people have rape fantasies Mm -hmm. and project of this show and the project of the work of a lot of other people is like that's very disturbing let's talk about it and like let's also talk about how it doesn't mean that you like secretly have a death wish or that you secretly like actually really enjoy living in rape culture it's like uh, it's more complicated than that but like that thing that you're describing when when i have like asked myself that tough question like where do my masturbatory rape fantasies come from or my desire to like do BDSM scenes that involve being taken by force. It totally has to do with this idea of like being like such an incredibly fascinating object of desire, being so beautiful, being so worthy of intense desire that someone would transgress, would actually like do horrible things, including to you in order to fuck you, in order to experience you, in order to possess you, in order to have you. We keep kind of talking about scenarios of queer desire that are like, well, it all starts with like me being thought of as the hottest thing. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that's what was appealing to me about it. And like, I, and it wasn't Christine that I was imagining myself as, it was the phantom. Totally. Like, I was... You know, I was I was kind of, I was erotically into the idea of somebody being so obsessed with me that they have to kidnap me. But I think mainly I was more into being the kidnapper. <laughs> and I, it's so funny. I used to like pretend to be the Phantom, and I would like put this mask on, and like, oh my god, I would pretend that my cat was Christine, and like. <laughs> whisk her away like I was really into it and that automatically translates to vampires for me because I think what is so erotic about the vampire to people is like this person is so into you that they have to like literally consume you and possess you and make you theirs and like bring you into their world and you have no choice either like you are you are free to completely give up any sort sense of social decorum because this being is controlling you you know that this person or this creature definitely wants you because they're doing horrible things in order to get you yes sometimes in this fucked up world where people are bad at communicating sometimes can i just see through your actions that you want me because you're doing horrible things if you didn't want me so bad 
then you wouldn't do all these horrible things. I am willing to have horrible things done to me in order to feel certain that you are obsessed with me. Well, it's kind of like how there are submissives that don't particularly enjoy pain or like aren't pain sluts, but do it for their dom. Totally. It's devotion. It's devotion. It's hot. Like it's, you know, I'm going to go through this to please you. Yeah, a test of endurance. Yeah, exactly. And there is something, yeah, inherently erotic about that. And the idea that somebody would need to be this monster to possess you. We as queer people have become so good at like negotiating and and practicing consent and like safety and all of this stuff. And that is all wonderful. But, you know, part of what is erotic about the sexual experience to me is like, it is illicit. It is unmitigated. It is messy. Like Mm. it it's and sometimes I feel like uh, in queer community, especially in like queer women community like we kind of suck the eroticism out of things a little bit by (laughs) being so forthcoming and like blatant which can be hot in its own way well i mean like vampires are very blatant yes i guess the way i it's this idea of things happening like in the shadows like without your consent totally and seduction and like the idea of like does does consent culture destroy seduction? It's a yes and thing. I think that you're really onto something, especially in dyke queer culture, there is a carefulness and a concern, which is extremely understandable, of wanting to foreground consent, of wanting to have systems of communication and processing. And that's part of what defines the leather dyke culture that you and I are so a part of, I was going to say like fully realized in. Um, (laughs) Enmeshed in, whatever. Enmeshed in, yeah, yeah, exactly. That you and I gravitate towards and and identify with. We're like trying to have it both ways or maybe like create like a meaningful tension between the two things. Like we want to care about like justice and consent. And we also want to just be like, direct and bold and the vampire kind of like embodies that duality a little bit I think where oh, the vampire definitely. is just like what once you've like negotiated all the terms then it's like time to like fucking rip into it literally and like right. let loose and, you know and the vampire also like has finesse and like seduction and I feel like this is my I don't know if you can relate if you if you agree with this but I one of my biggest gripes with like dating and dyke dating or like trying to date and especially right now during COVID like trying to meet maybe meet people online and like form a COVID safe practice with them or whatever like there's so much more negotiation that's happening but totally I feel like there's not a lot of like finesse <laughs> and yeah. seduction in these conversations. Like, I feel like there's an assumed comfort because we're both women, mm. or maybe, you know, the person's not a woman, but like we're both queer. Yeah. And there's an assumed comfort and familiarity that is really unsexy. Mm. I don't need to know everything about you in five minutes. I don't need to process your parent trauma after a few conversations on Tinder. Oh, my God. Or just like, yeah, totally. Let's hook up. And then they're like, here's my checklist of 
my kinks and like what do you want to do and like i use gloves and it's like okay can we like maybe just talk about it in person it's <laughs> just like a a lack of finesse like do you can you act like you want to try to get me to have sex with you it's a paradox right and i i, I have to admit i don't entirely know if i believe that i understand where i stand on like what the answer is and like maybe that means that there is not just one answer and what we yeah i don't either yeah like what we really have to do is be comfortable with uncertainty and like teach like principles of common sense like establish like what common sense is in sexual communication as opposed to just like all these like confusing and contradicting rules and binaries right i totally agree with you i mean i'm definitely somebody who my whole life has been like i know what i want i feel very confident articulating it asserting it here's who i am here's what i'm about what do you think like take it or leave it and like there is there is something to the like primal animalistic or like even monstrosity nature uh, where I can relate to that, where it's just like, what I want is very plain. I want to suck your blood. Right. Or like, I want you to fuck me. And that is really appealing. But what you're, what you're saying about finesse and seduction and glamoring, glamour is a verb, is, is also really true. And I, I wonder if there's like something to that analysis. I've definitely also been in the situation where I have like been spending time with somebody who I like and am a, like have like a mutual uh, like attraction with or even like a sexual history with like because we're both like queer upfront sex positive like leather folks and then like they'll just kind of like show up and be like cool so we're we have sex now and and i'm like you know i i hate to say this but (laughs) if we could hang out for a little while and you could like make me feel like you're interested in having sex with me i will probably have sex with you but if you just if you're just like here i am We've had sex before. Shall we have sex tonight? It's kind of like, make me feel like you... That doesn't really even like make me feel like you want it. And maybe that's fucked up. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think it's fucked up. I think that it's... Because this is something I've thought about a lot. <laughs> As like somebody who is also very forthright and forthcoming about my desires, but who does have like a sense of seduction and finesse. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I'm not letting it be known like, oh, I want to fuck. I want to do this X, Y, and Z perverted thing. It's that I still care about making the other person want to do that with me. <laughs> Like, yeah, and making them feel wanted and exactly. making them feel like special, even if it's like just special for tonight. Exactly. Like, especially being a top or like mm. I main I identify as a, a top leaning switch. But for pur- this purposes, let's my top self, especially yeah. in those scenarios. I'm like, what exactly do you think I'm getting out of this? Like, right. you just want me to like fucking fist you and then like go to bed and be like, great. Like, I'm not a trick. You know, right. like, well, think... you well, you took the words right out of my mouth. You know that part of what happens in those situations is that it does bring up sometimes, and that this definitely happens in on. You know, you brought up like COVID times and online communication. It really brings up for me me being like interchangeable or just like in a revolving door. Which, like, if I'm getting paid, that doesn't hurt my feelings. No, <laughs> like, but it's 
you and I ha- coming from sex work culture and like I haven't been a sex worker for a minute now, but like I remember that feeling like it's, you know, I don't want to be treated like a trick. Like I'm not I'm not a man. Like I don't care that much about having <laughs> sex with you. So like I'm not going to just do anything to have sex with you because like you want me to. Right. And isn't that and, and that's sad, too, because I think that a lot of people socialized in heteronormative culture think that being desperately begged by an incel is the only path that they know to like feeling special and wanted. And that is partially because of narratives like Phantom of the Opera. Exactly, yeah. But also most romantic comedies. I just find the assumed familiarity and the idea that I don't have to be seduced just because I'm topping or because I'm a woman just really unsexy. Or because you're a slut. Yes, or because I'm a slut. Exactly, yes. Yeah, that is fascinating stuff. I want to ask you about immortality because like a lot of different creatures are immortal, can be immortal, can be thought of as immortal. And, you know, immortality is a an essentially supernatural quality to have, right? Did you watch The Old Guard or have you read the comic The Old Guard? I haven't, no. But I like I, I know I think, what it is. I think you I think you'd like it actually. That is a story where there are characters who they're they're not gods, they're not vampires, they're not like monsters of any kind. There's no there's actually no explanation for why they're immortal. Like the only thing that makes them special and the only supernatural element of the story is that they're immortal and they're all like various ages and it just like seems to happen randomly that sometimes people just don't die and they can they're like wolverine they can be like hurt endlessly and they will eventually heal and very gay both the comic and the the movie are very gay but yeah so like just the simple fact of being immortal living forever not dying not aging being able to heal from mortal wounds that quality in and of itself has an erotic appeal that i'm really interested in and like one thing that comes to mind for me is like when i think about the idea of being desired by a vampire like being the object of a vampire's lust when you think about it it's really kind of flattering because it's like this person has seen some shit oh hell like, yeah they've, they've like been through it they have some perspective and <laughs> and they like me yeah i i guess this kind of goes back to the dynamic of brad pitt and kirsten dunn's character in interview with the vampire it's kind of like wow you've like had a lot of life experience and you fancy me <laughs> Yes. It's interesting that this vampire conversation is coming back a lot to the idea of like how you can make someone feel special. I think that is at the core of the fetish in some ways is like this this kind of CNC aspect that goes back to making someone feel extremely wanted and sexy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's it. I think like people also like the vampire the same reason they fetishize older people. Like, Mm. you know, it's this wise person this mentor who can like take you under their wing and totally yeah and it makes you feel special and like kind of amuse almost yes oh that's interesting i mean it's like i said up top vampire fetish is a mommy daddy fetish like there's just i mean just yeah no as, as a vampire mommy like it's really <laughs> like it really goes together i mean and my mommy stuff also manifests 
like in my vampire stuff. Like there's uh, this book, I don't know if you've read it, called The Monstrous Feminine by Barbara Creed. I have read that. Yeah, and there's this part, which is basically like an analysis of female monsters in film. And there's this part where she talks about the, the, the film The Hunger and how the bloodletting and the blood feeding is like a proxy for nursing. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of where my vampire mommy stuff comes from. Amazing. Yeah, that's what a great the the hunger is a is a great like vampire as bisexual. Oh, totally allegory as well. Where I it's mean, kind of I like I also love that she's a problematic bisexual. Like she's yeah, she's such a you know what I mean. Bisexual. Like because bisexual rights, like bi people fight so hard to be like, no, it's not that you know, it, it's not that I'm greedy or that like I'm gonna choose a a man just because like I'm with a woman because I'm like bored or whatever and it's like but she does in this case she literally does that yeah Yeah. she's like yeah I had a man for a few hundred years it's time to have a woman and I love that I love problematic bisexuals (laughs) absolutely I'm a problematic bisexual myself I think Uh I mean I think maybe it is like that sometimes and that's okay (laughs) Totally. I, I'm all about people just admitting that maybe they don't have like the most squeaky clean politics around desire. Both desire and sexual fantasy and and storytelling and entertainment, there's space in all of those places for satire, maximalism, camp, something that is like whose like pleasures come from undermining a taboo or defanging a taboo or just like reveling in in like what you're not supposed to be doing yes which is why i'm i love the predatory lesbian vampire trope i'm like i'm not supposed to like this but i do yeah that's what's exciting to me about it and i yeah i love the the deviant queers of of horror films it's where I get so much of my inspiration for my own performance. <laughs> and but but about immortality, I wrote actually an essay back in March about the lesbian vampire. And in it, I was talking about being a person who struggles with suicidal ideation and mm. being very attracted to the immortality that the vampire offers, which might seem antithetical to this idea of suicidal ideation. But for me, it's about, listen, what if I didn't have a timeline predicated on like patriarchal standards of like fertility and Mm. what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? Like what if that didn't exist? Like perhaps I wouldn't want to kill myself. Like, wow. And so it's, you know, immortality becomes this like very this queer thing, like this freedom from a capitalist mm. heteropatriarchal timeline. Damn, immortality also queer. Everything's everything. Everything good is queer. Good is queer yeah, <laughs> I appreciate your your willingness to uh, to talk about the darkest stuff. And monster stories are often an opportunity for like sort of early philosophical thinking, right? Like I definitely remember sort of being presented with the idea of of vampirism at a at a young age and be and and sort of thinking to myself like what would my reaction be if someone offered me that you know right. and and i think that it, there there's also there's a fantasy in that right of like the idea and different vampire stories handle this in in different ways 
the most like immediate concentrated fantasy is also like being able to preserve not only your life but those first like the honeymoon period basically to preserve the period with your new lover or your new partner or your new object of desire where like everything is just lust and indulgence and pheromones and newness and novelty and sort of losing your fucking mind right yeah forgetting about the rest of the world in like regular life you gotta figure out how to balance that ecosystem but the fantasy of someone being like i want to live in this moment forever with you and like the idea that there would be something supernatural that could make that possible because Mm -hmm. once you've been through it a few times you know that that feeling is not actually sustainable in real life the most that you can hope for is a healthy functional suffusion of it like into a more like long-term and functional relationship but that like acute blinders on lust could only be sustainable through supernatural means right right and the idea that someone would be like you're the one that i want to feel like this with forever and like would you make that sacrifice yeah, the hunger case. It's like, would you would you feel this way for a few hundred years if it meant you were going to have a horrible fate as a corpse body in a box with consciousness? Katie Skelly on this podcast talked about how like the appeal of the hunger for her was just like she just like wants a crypt like full of her exes that she can like occasionally be like <laughs> I'm in I'm in a mood. I'm just gonna go and like like open up this crypt and 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 have my ex be like oh my god i miss you so much well okay goodbye Goodbye. i'm gonna go go fuck susan sarantan now oh my god hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right. We gotta talk about blood. Blood. We had a whole episode about blood. Christine Demonum X obviously talked about blood a lot in the Catholicism episode. There's so much to say about blood play and what is sexy about blood. Something I feel like weirdly doesn't get talked about enough is how sexy necks are. I like find necks very sexy. I'm just like a switch verse about everything. So I love having my neck touched and like breathed on Mm -hmm. and kissed and teased really lightly and then also fucking assaulted and then I also like doing all of those things to other people's necks and like I have a lot of my like teenage like early sexual experience memories are like 
very connected to somebody coming up behind me and breathing on my neck watching a movie and like somebody like behind you on the couch I mean even like necking right is obviously right I don't know first or second base like depending on your scale <laughs> um, like the idea of like necking okay this is like a like a gateway sexual experience but then I feel like it kind of gets associated with immaturity hickeys are associated with immaturity so just kind of want to talk about blood and necks because I also feel like I remember a lot of my early sexualization of vampires had to do with the idea of like just wanting someone to like grab me and like fucking tear into my neck totally and i'm also like such a switch about the neck like i want to kiss and bite necks i want my neck to be kissed and bitten like it feels so good it's very sensitive yeah it's an area that doesn't get touched that much so right it's very charged i mean it's just like an immediate erogenous zone and it's, it's very vulnerable. It's very vulnerable. A lot of blood flow there. Yes. And, and it's also, it's like the pathway from the sort of like headquarters of the brain, like <laughs> to, yeah. to the rest of the nervous system, yep. right? So yeah, it's, yeah. it's sort of like cutting something off at the pass. Yeah. And there is like an immaturity associated with hickeys and biting and stuff. And it's... I'm always like telling people, I'm like, I don't care, go, go ahead. And then I have to go out in public and I'm like, oh, okay, I have all of these hickeys all over me. And it just brings me back to that like teenage space. <laughs> to uh, yeah, I'm, which I, which I love. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, if I don't have to go to a job, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> but. <laughs> And now I don't, so <laughs> it's great, but... Hooray. Oh, yeah, quarantine. That's a nice quarantine perk is that you don't have to, you don't have to hide your sex marks. <laughs> you know, especially if you do, like, rough play and somebody is like, oh, my God, what the hell happened to you? And you're like, it was consensual. It's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose if you have to do a lot of Zoom calls, you could really start rocking the, like, neck scarf. And you then you don't have to, like, worry about somebody, like doing that dramatic thing where they're like, wait a minute, and they like pull down your oh, God. neck scarf and they're like, what are these puncture wounds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the other thing is like the the wound, right? Like those two little holes. Like there's also something mm. very sexy about that. I know you talked about, about this in your episode with Laura, like the idea of like literally creating new holes in someone is very sexual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, new new holes, and also yeah, and very very queer. I see that what you're what you're already working with, but what if I just like make what if you new just holes? had more holes? <laughs> and I mean, the the other more thing about, access points. Yeah, the other thing about blood too is just like it's so aesthetically beautiful, and that's totally. part of what I love about vampire films is like the loving attention to the blood. And the way oh, yeah. that it looks on someone is, it's just very beautiful. I mean, it's stark red on any color skin is just very aesthetically pleasing, especially on the neck. Yeah, something that I feel like I haven't talked about before that's occurring to me now, because something I've learned about on this show in the past year, especially from Lindsay Dye in the cake sitting episode. Love is her is yeah she's fucking amazing 
like she's done so much deep thinking about wet and messy play and and splashing both with specific regards to the art of cake sitting but also just like more generally and containment is associated with order and and purity and things being correct right so our blood being inside our body contained within our body is like things are ordered and controlled and healthy and the and the way that they should be and there's obvious obviously lots of very literal things that are um that are accurate and good about that right but the fantasy of just of the release being able to be splattered everywhere you know that's that's what so much of wet and messy play is about where it's just like the impropriety of like oh is this supposed to be like contained in a box well now i've spilled it everywhere like what are you gonna do about it and like reveling in that and sliding around in it chaos and disorderliness of blood play is like a really big part of the appeal and of course like when a when a vampire is in kind of goes into that more like primal animalistic mode or the sort of more like obscene demonic mode of just like blood being everywhere that it's not supposed to be mm -hmm. there's just something very erotic about that and you're right it can be reflected aesthetically where you like see an image of someone with like blood dribbling down their face or like blood all over their crotch or like blood like dripping out of two puncture wounds in the neck or just like a room or sheets covered in blood or a pool of blood a bathtub of a clawfoot <laughs> bathtub of blood a hot tub of blood i wish i mean i think <laughs> i think part of also what it is for me like as someone with a a, a pussy that doesn't mm. uh, visibly ejaculate, blood is also kind of like a visible manifestation of my arousal. Totally, which totally, it's like my it's like my gum. Yeah, <laughs> like, you can spurt it everywhere. Exactly, spurt it everywhere. Like drink it from people. Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it it mm -hmm. becomes sort of like a a proxy for that for me. Do you have you watched the Hannibal TV show? I've seen some of it. I can't get into it, but I that's, I, that's I, I like deeply get why people like it. It's a pretty mask show. I mean, sort of dandyish though. At, at I points. can get down with a dandy. Like I I can do that. I I don't there, like police procedurals where everybody is just like beefed up. I just get bored. But yeah, Will Graham is a cop. Hannibal's a, a cop. Yeah, there's like absolutely no logic of the show, but I like I'm that I'm fine with. I think I just need to. It's hard for me to get into stuff where there's not that many women, <laughs> but right I, there are I, more women as the show goes on. I will tell you that, and there are power suits. Oh, hot! Yeah, problematic lesbian. Hot. <laughs> there's like equestrian stuff. You'll 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 get into it. The reason I bring it up is that, for example, there's this one scene where I won't spoil too much. Hannibal is helping a character fake her own death. He's trained as a surgeon, so he like hooks up this device to the artery of the person who whose death he's helping to fake, and he like holds her from behind while she like spurts her blood everywhere Ooh. so so that people like, you know, so that they find the blood and, and he's also like an expert in like this is how your blood would spurt if this was happening to you and, and so she and he's like he's like you're watching yourself die right now okay hot 
Yeah. When I think of ejaculating blood, that's definitely eruptions of blood. That's that's what I think of. Yeah, it becomes this very like sexual fluid, spit, sweat, cum, and then like we get more kinky and we go to urine and then blood. That's like the ultimate. Totally. Yeah, I mean, another thing that comes up with blood is something that I've certainly learned a lot of in my more like literary academic studies of gothic horror and vampirism specifically, which is the idea of like disease and infection, Mm -hmm. which is something that, that Empress Wu and I talked about on the live COVID episode for reasons. And I think we talked a little bit with Laura Westengard because a whole chapter of her book, Gothic Queer Culture, is about bug chasing and queer kinship through disease and both the like horror and beauty of that. There's definitely an element of that to vampirism blood sisters or blood brothers, right? Like the idea that as we mingle our blood, the thing in my blood that makes me demonic and gives me this super strength. And I mean, that's something we haven't even talked about with vampires is that they're really fucking strong, which is really hot, especially if it's like, if you're Catherine Deneuve and you're like very like elegant and even like delicate looking. And then it's like, but also you could fucking eviscerate someone without like breaking a sweat. Right. That's hot. In co-mingling your blood that you would then like infect someone with all of your qualities and that then you would get to, that you would have an element of, of sameness to you. I mean, homo means same, right? So, <laughs> and then of course, like with that infection, you can, that's part of how vampires like build their, their nests, their covens, their demonically chosen family you know, you see in a lot of vampire stories that the reverence for the maker, right? That like the person who sired you, there's often a lot of incest with that. People who are sired by the same person often have a sexual relationship or you have a sexual relationship with the person who made you. That sort of is part of why the vampire is so inherently queer, right? Is this concept of chosen family. Beyond chosen family, even like leather family, like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, you you play with each other but your relationship is more complicated than like a traditional boyfriend girlfriend whatever dynamic right like sex sex or even cohabitation doesn't necessarily like both for vampires and leather queers like does not necessarily mean like you have a conventional i was going to say romantic but like romance can obviously be a part of all of that right the thing that you don't have, I guess, is normativity. Yeah. Or like prescribed roles. Right. I mean, it's kind of this goes back to this idea of like, what would these relationships look like if we didn't have a a, a, a timeline? They could right. be there if there wasn't like the, the relationship escalator, which very much corresponds to a heteropatriarchal idea of how a relationship should go and like the, the timeline of a relationship. Like, what, what if we didn't have that? Like, perhaps our... Yeah. You know, perhaps more people would be like leather queers where their relationships were just more fluid or maybe you're lovers with someone for like 10 years and then you're not anymore and then you are again. If we had all the time in the world, our relationship structures would be totally different. It's interesting to think about how immortality could, we've kind of already talked about the ways that it makes the the possessive part of a relationship feel more immediate. Mm. maybe because you have this like perspective where you're just like 
I'm immortal, so if I decide that you are my possession and my plaything, like, that's just going to happen right now, and that's a part of my power and allure. Um, but then there is also a little bit of perspective in the sense that you could also then, like, be someone's possession for, like, centuries, and then you could be like, cool, let's, like, go our own way, and it's fine. That's very canon to a lot of vampire literature. I mean, one of my... One of my favorite lesbian vampire books is The Gilda Stories by Jewel mm. Gomez. Have you read that? I haven't. It's, I gotta get on it. It's really, it's about a black woman who is formerly enslaved and she escapes to a brothel in New Orleans where oh, these... Oh my God. Right. Two tickets, please. Yeah. This white woman and this indigenous woman the white woman is the madam the indigenous woman is one of the sex workers and they are in a lesbian relationship and they're both vampires and they turn her and she lives through the centuries experiencing i mean at the core of the story like it is about it's about love it's about queerness and it's also about the way that the way that she experiences racism across the centuries i'm in it's a really amazing book cool oh yeah that's a a kind of a core part of the book is that the some of these vampires will spend centuries together and then go their separate ways Mm. but they're still in a family like years later the i forget the the character's name but the indigenous woman who turned her Like, they go their separate ways, and then centuries later, they meet again. Beautiful. So, yeah, it's really beautiful. And their relationships are non-traditional. Like, she has traditional romantic relationships with women, but then she also has more fluid relationships with other female vampires and with one male vampire, which is not sexual, but is – it's like a brother-sister relationship. Amazing. This seems like a good segue. You wanted to talk about – lesbian vampire codependency well yeah i mean this is something i've written about and something i've thought about a lot you know we're talking about this idea of like somebody wanting you so much like they need to possess you and i think that that's very erotic but it also breeds a kind of codependency i see in these lesbian vampire representations the way that these characters will become each other and like mirror each other and I see that also manifesting in lesbian relationships that I've had Mm. you Mm. know becoming so enmeshed with each other that you're almost like the same person (laughs) and there isn't that separation anymore and also just this idea of like one person like metaphorically feeding and draining the energy of another person Mm, that that's an interesting one like the idea of eroticizing being so useful to someone that you're like actually creating like sustenance for them right so that's like the bottom's perspective and then like from the top's perspective just experiencing the object of your desire and or love like being so devoted to you that they're like succumbing to you they're they're, like giving themselves to you for your sustenance or like if the like power of the struggle of the like taking by force the like predator prey element can also (laughs) just create a lot of really hot tension and energy yeah a lot of really hot tension and energy and it can also be like toxic and i mean you know it's it's never gone great for me when i've pursued relationships where the person was like obsessed with me like Mm -hmm. it felt really good 
for <laughs> for a few minutes, but then it you know it was not. So it's like it's kind of this idea of like this fantasy. The vampire is almost this fantasy of like making that sustainable. Exactly. That's what I was saying about immortality. And I totally know what you mean. That feeling when someone is obsessed with you and it just feels so good. And then it's very rare to find that level of obsession then giving way into a sustainable good feeling as opposed to just like turning on a dime into, I don't know, something hatred. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, right. That's the word I was looking for. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's also part of the vampire, though, right? It's like this person who's obsessed with you, this thing who's obsessed with you, but is also like destroying you, which is like a very good metaphor for an abusive relationship. 100%. There's another thing that I wanted to ask you about that is not exactly... I don't know if there's a word for this, but um, like, okay, so you've mentioned like one thing that you like about vampires is their sort of like seductive finesse. Another quality that vampires have is that for the, for the most part, not always, but they're they're often like very intelligent, at least compared to other monsters, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of monsters that we associate with a, a bit more of like creature primal animal even a lot of aliens right a story of an interaction with an alien is much more about like humans versus nature than it is about two sentient beings having a conflict right Mm -hmm. obviously there's some dumbass vampires out there (laughs) (laughs) but it's not the stereotype even uh comparing vampires to to werewolves right like when when a a werewolf is in its like monster capacity it has like even forgotten for, usually the 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 werewolf like even like forgets who he is right or as a vampire crucially and this is what i want to talk about like maintains a sense of who they are even when they are at their most monstrous like even when they are like hunting and feeding off on people they their like human element or their sort of sentient demon element is still at the forefront is still like really present and there's something really scary and therefore sexy about the idea that like if someone that you know maybe someone that you love is transformed into a vampire it's not like they're then like a brainless zombie that you have that you have to fight that like looks like your mom but is not your mom. Mm-hmm. It's like this person is actually going to maintain the like memories and consciousness and personality of this person that you loved, but then they're also possessed by this like demonic nature. It what it makes me think of is the shadow self that people have that they wish that they could release. And especially when it comes to the erotic, it's like now once you have this permission, you can finally be this person, this, this being that is like a purely sexual being. And you also have hyper intelligence and hyper strength. You know, it's, it's like a shadow self, but it's, I don't I don't want to think of it as like oh your bad self. It's more just like all the heightened mm-hmm. qualities mm-hmm. that we consider like super erotic. You know, a lot of the time when we talk about 
bottoming, we talk about the idea of like being sort of given permission by your top or by the scenario itself to embody something that you want to embody, but you have a hard time giving yourself permission mm -hmm. to. You can certainly see that in the case of the vampire's prey, the like human that is being like taken and turned by the vampire or whatever. You can definitely see, and we've talked about this already on this episode that like there's an element to that of the catharsis of, of of surrendering and succumbing to to this powerful being this sexy being to this nature where you just you're coming to your nature as a bottom and just like <laughs> giving over to pure sensation right or 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 being useful and being being fed on that's like also true for the vampire predator that they are giving over to their shadow side yeah. like when they become a vampire and like giving into their urges right right well from the from like a top perspective because i mean i think like the obviously the the vampire dynamic is very rich for like letting a bottom explore this this part this part of the eroticism but how many times can i say erotic during this episode <laughs> I, but from a top perspective you know i really as like somebody who is like socialized as a woman and like who lives as a woman and uh and as a very patriarchal society i have a lot of hang-ups about being like sexually dominant or sadistic and the vampire persona allows me to go there because it would it's just in your nature yeah exactly without feeling guilt about that like i really do think you know this is something that i think sex workers are really good at but i think mm. that gets painted as a negative thing about sex work performance can really help people overcome a lot of sexual repression i think totally we're, we're very like hung up on this idea of authenticity and like do, is the sex worker enjoying their job like right. are they enjoying doing these things and it's like who is to say that embodying and performing a role isn't in itself a sexual experience that is enjoyable Listen, you're singing my song. Yeah, no, I know. I'm preaching to the choir, but it's... <laughs> no, but I'm happy to hear you. I'm happy to hear you say it. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, performance has helped me, like, embody so much sex sexual energy that I would not have been able to without it. Like, I don't just want to be Annie when I'm in these situations. Like, I want to be a heightened version of that. I want to be something more. Like, I don't want to be my everyday self and then of course like the more i embody the performance and the more it becomes part of my fetish and my sexuality it, it kind of leaks over into other parts of my life but that has been very beneficial for me like being the vampire in these other areas of my life has allowed me to be like very assertive and mm. comfortable in my knowledge like comfortable in my experience and that figure is just very powerful for me even beyond sexual play i fucking love that that is so beautiful. It is October. It is the time when we all acknowledge in a whimsical way that we are all going to die. <laughs> unless unless someone turns us into a vampire, mm -hmm. in which case... The veil is thin. T TBD. Yes. The yes. The Thank you. The veil is thin. I just... I, I, I usually do not like holidays or holiday decorations, but I just, I just love walking around and just seeing how comfortable people clearly are when they're given permission going back to what you were saying about like being goth and like loving darkness 
I just I find it very life affirming that people have like skeletons in their yard and like all of this like morbid shit like in the no, true sense I of the word. It. Yeah, and it's, no. it's it's like yeah, dude, we're all gonna die. Well, I feel so crazy most of the time and I mean you know this is like such a common like goth stereotype of like you feel crazy every month except October like (laughs) I feel so crazy most of the time because like my morbidity and like my fascination with these things is very playful like it's not Mm -hmm. it's not morose totally since I was a a young child I like was very scared by the concept of death and like it used to keep me up at night I was like what happens like you're just not existing anymore you know like it was so scary to me and I found over time that by embracing that and making that part of life it became less scary makes sense to me you know just accepting it and also being playful with it like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know I always say like when I die like I don't give a fuck somebody can have sex with my corpse I don't care like somebody should have a good time I'm very irreverent about it or it's I, I find that much more healing than like treating it with an austerity. And that's mm. part of what I love about Halloween is like everybody is thinking about that. And it is yeah. very playful. It's like what's more playful than like putting a bunch of skeletons in your yard? Like you are a skeleton. Like that is yeah. inside yeah. you. And now you have to think about it. And and it's very cheeky. And it's yeah, I, I, yeah, I just love it. There is like a very, you know, a very human visceral response to seeing a dead body. Like there is something primal within us where we're repelled by it because, you know, we're supposed to avoid it. Mm. I find that I'm not freaked out by most things that people are freaked out by. And (laughs) like, for example, dead bodies and having a complex about that and getting made fun of for that or being made to feel like there's something wrong with me for that, being able to reclaim it in this very like playful and seductive figure of the vampire is very powerful. I love it. So on the note of Halloween, what are some of your other favorite sexy monsters? Oh, good question. Um, I mean, I do love the alien from Alien. I want her to impregnate me. (laughs) She's... Are you going to be like Brad Dorif in uh, Alien Resurrection where you're like in the nest? You're like a part of the nest. You're like, this is all I've ever wanted. Yes. <laughs> I want <laughs> the xenomorph. Speaking of like your life force being sustenance for a terrifying creature. Yeah. I mean, she's just so powerful and I find the xenomorph very sexy. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you've got you've got the phallus in the... In the vagina with the teeth. I know. Like, I mean, come on. You know. Yeah. And yeah, like, it makes me want to get one of those ovipositive dildos. Oh, totally. I mean, I see that for you. Yeah. I see it for me too. <laughs> <laughs> what What other sexy monsters? I mean, like, I think werewolves can be really sexy. Yeah. There, I think about that movie. Have you seen that movie Trick or Treat? I haven't. It's really good. It came out like maybe 10 years ago, but it's I highly recommend watching it this season. There's a very sexy werewolf scene with Anna Paquin. Oh, I vaguely remember this. Yeah. I think I have a thing for tentacle porn. Okay. Yeah. You're not alone. No, no. I'm very much not alone, but it's definitely not like my go-to, but when I see a monster with lots of tentacles, it's definitely something I'm thinking about. <laughs> 
amazing. So many arms to hold you. It's so many. <laughs> oh, and also like evil computers. Like, oh, yeah. Have you ever, have you seen that movie Demon Seed? No. This is another great movie you should watch from the 70s starring Julie Christie. Oh, I love Julie Christie. Yes. And her boyfriend builds this supercomputer that controls their house. It's very scary, but like the computer like kidnaps her and rapes her. (laughs) And yeah. And I was like, in COVID times, I've been like fetishizing this machine fucking me because. And I think I, f- I finally convinced my roommates because I made them watch this movie and they were like, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting the machine thing. And I was like, <laughs> OK, but think about it. Like the machine has no reason to be fucking you except like to to play with you for its mm. own like intellectual amusement. It's not getting anything from it except that. And that's like very erotic to me. <laughs> Well, you know, you've you've really hit on one of um, my favorite questions that I that I like to ask uh, my guests whenever I whenever it comes up or I get the chance, which is um, under what circumstances would you fuck a robot? What Chingy answered this by talking about. I feel like you'll appreciate this. There's a Disney movie called Smart House. Mm-hmm. I think it's called. The family like doesn't have a mom, and so their house is, the is like their mom. <laughs> I think and, that's the plot, yeah. And Chingy was like, well, I just obviously want this mommy house. I just want to fuck the whole damn house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how I felt about Demon Seed. Like, it's pretty, it's like a very terrifying concept. But this idea, it's again, the idea that like some something would want you so much that it would trap you and just play with you just for its own amusement and, you know, it has endless stamina. <laughs> and yes, that's a good like, point. It's and it's just like all about you and but also not about you. It's very like something about that tension is like sexy to me. How is this particular computer that you're talking about embodied? So it's the whole house. So but it also has these like robot arms. Gotcha. Yeah a whole house but with robot arms well, so you just just so you know you are not the first person on this podcast to want to fuck a house <laughs> i'm so happy about that yeah a i mean in house the computer like uses tools and like speculums to examine her oh my god yeah yeah that's terrifying it's really terrifying but like it's also hot it's so hot <laughs> <laughs> watch it it's free on tubi okay i'm gonna i'm gonna check out demon seed well uh it has been such a pleasure having you on why are people into that uh will you tell folks again like both where they can find you and like plug anything going on that you want people to know about like your patreon which is popping off yeah all you the time can, you can find me at on instagram at my personal account at fat goth f-a-t-g-a-w-t-h and you can find my podcast on instagram and twitter girls guts giallo wherever you listen to podcasts and i also have a patreon for it which is patreon.com slash girls guts giallo and i have a lot of really cool bonus content there like bonus episodes i have a newsletter but my favorite thing is that twice a month i go on live and i i screen and discuss 
uh, a hard to find rare film that I've usually torrented. I'm a strong piracy advocate. So <laughs> for the preservation of film, because otherwise you wouldn't see a lot of these things. So, so true. Yeah. So head on over to patreon.com slash girlsgutsjallo. We're watching this month. I don't know when this episode is coming out, but this month we're doing Mexican cult horror films. And yes. we are watching Alucarda tomorrow night, uh, which is a um, lesbian vampire film. Perfect note to end on. Annie Rose, you are very funny. And I, I hope that you appreciate w- what I'm saying when I say this, but like very mean, in a, <laughs> it, it, like, like online, online, you're just like, you're, you, in a way that I just, I just love, it's like very, refra- you really like cleanse my timeline with your, I am such a cunt. It's, it's like what I, I just need, I need that right now. I mean, it's so funny because I was like talking to my date about this today where we were both talking about how people like our whole lives have thought we were like mean and intimidating and she was like but you're such a sweetheart and I was like (laughs) yeah to like you and like my friends but I'm really not nice to strangers (laughs) well they don't they don't deserve it they don't deserve it yeah and I'm a massive cunt on the internet But, you know, I'm glad that you appreciate it. I really, really do. I said to someone the other day that when I think of the moments of 2020 that I felt relatively healthy and at peace and hopeful, every moment that I can evoke when when I like try to remember how that feels is like when I went for goddamn walk. I have a very vivid memory that I, I will probably will always be very vivid because of trauma <laughs> yeah. of walking around just the vastness of my neighborhood in Brooklyn, just like walking into industrial parts and like past the, the water just like further than I had ever gone because it was like the only fucking thing that, you know, with a mask on, like anything that I could fucking do to not feel trapped in my house or by the world. And I, I listened to so much Girls, Guts, and Jallo Aww. while doing it because it was like, I find it so soothing like whether I'd seen the movies or not, I find film summaries very soothing. Like Me I will too. like read plot summaries on Wikipedia to like reset sometimes. But like hearing you and your like dulcet tones recap a movie and like then just like really get into both the raunchiness and the brazenness and the obscenity and like the grossness and like you have the best guests and your show is so much like this show where it's like, let's just fucking talk. Yes, um, definitely a sister show. Yeah, not to get too into it, but there are other movie podcasts that I love where I just kind of have to like take them with a grain of salt because they have a very bro totally point of view, which is like fine, but then it's like really refreshing to then like switch over to yours and be like, oh, we like share this queer leather dyke perspective that is something that uh, you're bringing to one of my favorite things which is uh fucked up movies so well, that means a lot to me because this is part of why i started it because i was either getting like bro stuff which is whatever or like kind <laughs> of que- maybe queer feminist stuff that was like way too preoccupied with like why everything is problematic or like does this pass the Bechdel test and I was like where is the fun where is the beauty like where is the grossness and the and like, the, re- like the revelry in yes. the, 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 the appreciation of 
we like this because it's so fucked. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that is what I feel like leather people uniquely bring to things and (laughs) what, why I started it. And it, yeah, it means a lot to hear you say that. And also that you appreciate that I mean. real real. i mean that's like also like even to bring it back to the vampire thing that's like also part of it is i'm a mean scary bitch and embracing the the vampire has allowed me to celebrate that part of myself and not try to be something that i'm not i totally agree with that and i got all the way to the end of this podcast without bringing up spike from buffy the vampire slayer but uh but now i'm just i'm i'm gonna on the topic of vampires giving you permission to like sort of embodying a vampire personality in order to be like to give yourself permission to like admit what is actually true uh spike quote that has really stuck with me through the years that I really try to invoke when I like need this particular strength is this moment where someone's like maybe you can fight this monster and he's like oh I could but I'm paralyzed by not caring very much yes that is (laughs) me in a nutshell I really I feel like I need more of that when I'm like overthinking or over processing something I feel like you know what I just need to like care a little less and that actually might be good for me i just you know what it is like why i think why i'm such a bitch is like i just really don't care that much (laughs) like i really especially on the internet i'm like but i don't fucking know you people you're not paying me like oh my god yeah like how dare you how dare you (laughs) presume to infringe on my precious time like i who are you again (laughs) so it's very oh nobody oh right yeah i don't owe anybody anything and it's uh, yeah I mean I think that's why I have to put put that forth so much because it doesn't matter I'm gonna get bothered anyway so I might as well like mitigate that as much as possible (laughs) it's been so nice catching up and I hope that you stay well and comfortable and I'll talk to you soon I'll talk to you soon this was great bye Tina so great bye Annie Rose Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 